Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today is the ISBN Enablement Operations Leadership Team. I've got Jesse Marchand, I've got Amy Evans, I've got Robin Bittner, and I've got Teresa Kramer. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hey, Hello. Bro. So we're going to wrap up this little section of uh, our series on leadership and uh, the subset being myths of leaders, le myths of leadership. And this one is, hey, you know, we, we're building off of the last iteration. So, hey, I, I have this diverse and inclusive team and now I'm done. So are we done? Robin? We're just starting. <laughs> well, see, that's too easy. Well, you ask me, I give you an effective and point answer. Concise yeah. answer. Yeah. This is where I go, and that's the end Check. of this iteration, right? Well, Brent, I've listened to your feedback in the past about my expanding, you know, for talking a lot, so I'm working on my brevity. Perfect. Brevity is, brevity is awesome. Thank you. All right, fine. Teresa? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so hiring a diverse and inclusive teams would mean that you have a variety of different cultures, genders, races, perspectives of the world on your team. And likely all of those human beings have their own um, perceptions of the world, perceptions of reality, and likely they are not aligned. So you were not done when you have hired this highly diverse team. Um, there's definitely, as is true with any team, even if they aren't a diverse team, um, a period of understanding each other as individuals, as well as um, the awareness and recognition that there are those different perspectives and understanding those different perspectives. So I think one of the things that we can do most prevalently as leaders is model the behaviors that we want to see in our team members. <clears throat> so being accepting and understanding of other people's perspectives as a leader is, is a critical component of, of helping the team to, um, to, to be high performing. If we go back to, you know, the statement I made, I, I, that is, a, is what I would view as the first step of the first stage in having a performing team to Teresa's comment. You know, you go through the forming, storming, norming, and performing. Yep. You've brought together a group of individuals and said here, you can't just drop and go. You have to guide through that entire process and not expect them to go through themselves. You have to be the one showing the path. You have to do, you know, corrective and coaching action as appropriate. And any group of people, if we call that a team, whether it's in business or sports or whatever it might be. Um, if you take the sports analogy that you've seen many times in, in many different sports of a group of folks, you bring them together. You just don't, the, the GM doesn't just go and bring a bunch of people and throw them out in the field and say, you're done now go win a championship. You have to have that process of guiding, coaching, uh, encouraging, correcting as you go through and collectively, meaning the leader and the team will hopefully move their way through that process but it's not a one stop, we're done. Now the real work begins because you do have the variety of individuals' perspectives and others, as Teresa had mentioned, that you're responsible for helping align and guide through the process of where you wanna go. And I would say as an IC, I think the challenge is sometimes 
you're not necessarily going to know that there's a, that there's a source of friction until you run into it. You may have a diverse team. You may have a very uh, inclusive team, but you bring in a new member and everything gets reorganized. Everything gets resorted. Everything gets re-figured out. And it may illuminate new items that you thought weren't there. So Brent, to that point, I agree entirely with you. I might offer that we remove the part up as an IC because I'm thinking sure. about the folks in here and we're all brought in as a individual on a collection at whatever level. The only people that probably don't have that is the chairman of the board because sure. even at a board level, you're brought in and there's, if we look at our board, we've had multiple, you know, evolutions every company has that absolutely and so that very same thing that you talked about we all go through when we're put into a new situation to work you know in an organized fashion with a, a set of individuals that are now our teammates yep and i think well so this is where i would say that there's the myth about it is that the myth about it is that you y'all don't need y'all don't have those issues it's only it's only we plebeians who have that issue yeah right I mean, <laughs> so many reactions come to mind it's, it's like back, yeah, it was I mean, great it's back to last last episode let's take leadership out of it right? yeah, exactly back to the exactly. fact that we all happen to manage people on this call with the exception of you brent that's fine we are human beings yep. mm -hmm. and back to the whole biases right yeah i think the most important thing is that as humans if we want to become more aware of our biases, expose ourselves to those biases, the areas where we're uncomfortable more often and go in with a completely open mind and just listen, mm -hmm. listen to the perspectives of other people. I can think way back in my career, thinking about even having conversations with peers about different religious perspectives, right? We, we came to the table and we weren't having conversations about you're right, I'm wrong. It was, let me understand your, your beliefs and, and the way that you see the world. And then let's talk about the way I see the world. And that curiosity, just to be able to, even if you can't, it, it doesn't resonate with you, even if it's different than your own perspectives, just listening to it very openly and not taking that personally, because that's, that's that person's truth. That, that well, word is a super key one, Teresa, curiosity, because one is not curious unless they're open. Mm -hmm. super super important mm -hmm. there you go and I, I would add to this conversation if you truly have a diverse team those conversations are going to take much longer uh, and require more effort uh, more thought on both the manager and the IC's perspective so and it absolutely goes back to the psychological safety yep. yeah, none absolutely. of this can happen unless you have psychological safety in a team yeah. And to Jesse's point, the length reflects the process of learning. Because if everyone's the same, you know, if you meet somebody that has something similar, you know, we, we try to connect. And so whenever we meet somebody, it's like, oh, you're from this area, that area, you do this, or that, well, whatever that might be. It's like, oh, there's something that we can form that connection with. And the more diverse, the less likely there may be connections of a multitude. So you got to learn and listen and be curious. And as those things start to build, one would hope, as a leader, I would hope that the environment that you know we've created, I've created, is one where curiosity can exist, appreciation develops, and from that camaraderie results. 
And then that's where you start to have that understanding and that connection and appreciation, respect for, you know, the different perspectives and say, okay, cool. Well, you know, we're here for this thing and we all kind of know about each other. And yes, we're collectively committed to this. I do think it's a yes and, but I, I do think it's a yes and, but yes and. <laughs> um, I do think it's important as a leader of a team. And if we're adding additional team members in agnostic of, of I'll say the, the DNI connotation, but you know, your teams go through an element of change when any, anytime we add in to that group of people who have formed their, their bond and their ability to be curious with each other, have that psychological safety. And now all that has to be rebuilt with, with the addition of, of a new person um, to, to the group. So I think we do have to honor that while we're going in, knowing the individual that we're bringing in, um, a change is gonna happen and there's a reset button and allowing those individuals to go through the change process without trying to push too hard. Yeah. And I, I feel like DNI has been a huge push in the last you know, couple of years. And I feel like we haven't always been respectful of, of the change that that means to our teams being ready for that. That's a really, good really good point. And I would say, regardless of what the change is to the team, to your point, organizations do not do enough to recognize that change is disruptive. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the change is. Everybody goes through it differently. And the more drastic the change, the more disruptive the change is. But people need time to adapt to that change. Yeah. yeah. And I, I liked what you said, Teresa, earlier. I remember if it was in this segment or the previous segment, but modeling the behavior mm-hmm. for, our, for our folks. And, and modeling takes many different shapes and happens in many different avenues. And so, especially in this virtual world that we're in, how we can model and then the behavior, but then also be able to, in the moment, gently course correct, because there's a, there's a, a, a you know, in te- if a team's been together for a while, there's a comfortableness with the way they have been behaving. And now you've added a new player in and in those moments when they happen, having your own courage to say to your team, you know, hey, we need to, we need to rethink and, and reevaluate our team norms and our, our team values um, or expectations because we've now added somebody new and we need to have a different lens of our conversation. So I'm gonna flip this a little bit because we've been talking about adding people. Let's talk about it as people who leave. Yeah. Same thing, Same right? Thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some ways, it's very different in that. So someone leaves if you're not replacing them. Right. Because the assumption is usually if you if someone leaves, you replace that person. If someone leaves and you don't replace that person, you're having to do more with less and you're having to rebalance all of those those interactions because you know, if person A and person B don't necessarily get along and person C was kind of like the go-between, mm-hmm. right? You have to deal with, okay, so now person C is gone and, and now person A and B have to deal with each other. You know, walk me through how that 
gets a little how that's spun in that same lens. Yeah, I, I, I'd like to move away from the word spun because <laughs> that, no, no, seriously, because yeah, that, in, that intends good. some sort of magical manipulation of the truth so that it's palatable, <laughs> you know. Fair um, enough. Two aspects came to mind when you were describing that scenario, sure. Brent, and one is an emotional one, mm-hmm. and then one is a practical one. And on the emotional side, the first thing that came to mind when you said someone leaving, the, the, the word that came to mind is mourning in that, and I'm thinking again on the positive side is that, hey, sure. here's a colleague who's no longer there. There were many things that I relied upon them for and such. Um, you brought up the, the uh, parallel but opposite scenario of where if somebody didn't get along, now all of a sudden there's celebration because this person is gone and we don't have to deal with him or her anymore. Oh yeah, see, I wasn't thinking of so, it that way. I was thinking of it as... Person, the person who left acted as an in-between between yeah. two colleagues who don't necessarily see eye to eye on something. Yeah. So there's the emotional aspect of whatever nature it might be. Mm-hmm. And then there's the practical of like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? And so with any team, there's always these occurrences of uncertainty or lack of clarity or something new has come up. And it's like, how do we deal with that? And that's where as a leader, you need to be, in my opinion, that's part of your being there as part of the team and understanding these and having that environment that hopefully you've crafted where folks are comfortable about raising these. If you don't quite have that because the team is new or they're still forming or whatever the reason may be, that's where you really have to crank up the emotional intelligence and you have to rely on relationships to get that insight and data so that you can take some sort of positive corrective action. Can I add another element in that if somebody leaves? Um, The other thing that is something that I I think as of late, we probably all had to deal with and manage through is that we're not backfilling roles and Mm -hmm. what signal is that sending? And I think that that's one as a leader um, being really um, open and transparent if you've been able to be that authentic leader and helping the teams understand why and um, helping them to still, you know, to your point, Brent, you know, the workload hopefully gets leveled and rebalanced across the team, but sometimes that doesn't happen and it ends up being on some people's shoulders or your own as the leader, you pick up that work to get it, to see it through the finish line, but helping the teams, you know, really continue to show up because if they're not seeing positions filled and there are reasons, you know, but you know, how do you keep those, those team members engaged? Yeah. And that's where, you know, Amy, to your point, um, the trust that hopefully you've been able to build comes into play. Whereas when you openly and honestly communicate what you know, that mm-hmm. that is as accepted as the truth and not like, oh, there must be some other reason because I don't accept or I don't like or whatever that might reason might be. It's There's got to be something else that can't be the reason. It's like, but no, that is the reason. Yeah. So that's where, you know, all these foundational elements. And I think, Brent, as we've talked about through these series of different uh, topics, they all fit together. They form this structure within which other things can occur downstream. And if you don't have one of those pieces and you're not working towards building that piece to form that solid foundation, it makes it difficult when these types of situations come up to really be effective. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it goes back to the conversation that we we're having about investing in the team early on mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. laying that groundwork for, we understand how we work together regardless as to what change gets thrown our way. Yeah. And I think reinforces the need for um, even 
further investment as we should be investing in our people in cross-training, ensuring that we don't have single points of failure in the organization. So that at least from a business continuity standpoint, when we do have people leave, yes, there's that emotional, you know, we were invested in this human, yay, they got a better opportunity or whatever it is that, that they chose to do, or, you know, we're super sad that they're leaving, whatever emotions are wrapped in that, but making sure that you don't have those single points of failure in teams becomes a, a point of resiliency. If, if you have that built into the team where anybody could pick up that work, um, those changes can be less impactful. That sounds like it's a perfect place for us to end this iteration. Until that next iteration, I'm Brent. I'm Amy. Jesse. Robin. Teresa. Until that next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us on mail at info at fasterthanstandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at FasterStandup. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.